Nate, come on, man. For those of you who are joining us online, um, and for those of you who are new, I'm Tom. I'm lead pastor here at Coast. And this is a special service. We, we are an elder-led church, which means that our governance, um, the people who run the church, are not me, although I am a part of the board, but our board of elders. Um, being an elder is a really big deal. It's a... Uh, it's a big job because it's the job of shepherding the flock, protecting um, the flock and caring for the flock and providing vision for the flock. And so as a, as a church, we have a tradition, um, and that tradition is we examine our elders um, as a congregation before we uh, assent to their leadership. And so this service is an opportunity for you to get to know uh, Nate Ballinger a little bit better if you don't know him. Um, and if you don't, that's a shame because he's one of the most outstanding dudes ever. And he's got an amazing heart and he's got a good story, which he's going to share with us. And then after that, if I have the, uh, can I have the connect team come? I've got some, some suggested questions right here. Um, if, yeah. So the, you, the congregation will be able to ask whatever you like of Nate. And then you can also vote at the end about whether or not you think he's ready to be an elder. So, it's a lot of pressure. Make sure, make sure, is that thing on? Let's turn it on. Yep, it's on. Okay, and remember, treat that thing like an ice cream cone. Speak into it as best you can. That'll help uh, everyone hear what you have to say. Um, Before this happens, buddy, let me just pray for you, man. Gracious God and Father, thank you for Nate. Thank you for what he's meant to our family and this church. Just give him uh, peace and comfort and confidence uh, as he goes and shares his heart, his desire to be a shepherd of your church. Show your love for him and for this church now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I don't really use a boom. That's what this is called. I just learned a boom. Um, So, man, there's a lot of you. So, uh... When I was kind of asked to do this, I've kind of been through this process before, like I've kind of seen it, and I thought that something that was on my heart was to share my testimony, um, which honestly terrifies me because I'm not really an open book in that sense, and so this is not easy for me, but I, I felt like it was important and I prayed about it. And then I read a book called The Shepherding Toolbox. Um, normally I don't read books. I like the way they look on my shelf. But this one I read, well, I read the first few pages, and just so happens in the first few pages, it said to share your story with uh, your family, share your story with your church, share your story with your small group, and so I kind of felt like I was locked in. So, hopefully you guys still like me after this, <clears throat> scorched earth. So to, uh, to know me is kind of a, to know my parents a little bit. So my dad was the product of a divorce at a very early age. His father died when he was 13. Um, and he moved in with his mom, who had five daughters, all by different people. Uh, it was kind of a chaotic home life. He was expected to be the father figure to them, but really wasn't equipped. Um, and these are very hard, strong-willed women. My mom was adopted when she was very young into a very abusive, dark, and quite frankly, evil environment. Throughout her life, any type of abuse, evil abuse, you could think of happened to a child, happened to her, including trafficking. One night when she was 17, she rolled a TV into her room as watching TV was kind of an escape for her. Just so happens that on the TV that day was uh, Billy Graham, 
And uh, she was watching this Billy Graham show on this little TV. You only get three channels. Um, and she heard Billy Graham say, if you want to know God's love, stand up. And so in her room, she stood up. And in that terrible, evil environment, she became a Christian. Shortly thereafter, by extenuating circumstances, the Lord got her out of that house. My parents met shortly after that, and they are still together. Statistically speaking, my mom should have been dead, a drug addict or a prostitute, before she met my dad. But she was not. My parents at some point should have gotten divorced, but they did not. And my brother and I should have been abused, but we were not. God held our family together. My mom attributed the break in the cycle of violence that plagued her to burning the high places, which is a term from the Old Testament about getting rid of the cycle of idolatry in Israel. We grew up poor in City Heights, San Diego. My brother is six years older than me, and we've always been buddies. We grew up in the church. My parents did their best with what they had to raise us right. I was saved young. And ever since I was a kid, God has had his hand in my life. I don't know why. I don't deserve it, but he's always been there for me and blessed me. I attribute that to my parents have always prayed over or prayed for myself and my brother. And I think as parents, that's so important because I feel like God the Father fills in the gaps where we can't. During the ages of 12 and 16, (laughs) I went through a hoodlum stage. I would engage in various crimes like petty theft, underage smoking, vandalism. My best friend at the time and I would engage in our hoodlumry, and it all culminated one night the summer of my 10th to 11th grade year. My friend picked me up in his pickup truck late, and I told my mom we were going out to see Universal Soldier with Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's how long ago this was, my goodness. Uh, once I got in his car, he informed me that he brought his 22 rifle. I didn't really think much of it because we used to ditch school and go out to the desert and shoot. Um, we were out engaging in vandalism. Specifically, I was in the bed of his truck, and I was breaking car windows with a slingshot. Being an adult now, I know how terrible that is. We were in a cul-de-sac, and all of a sudden, a car pulled up, and he was facing up. He started flashing his lights and revving his engine. We drove off and proceeded to chase us in his car. He was in a Thunderbird. We were in a pickup truck. And I was in the bed of the truck while my friend was going 80 to 90 miles an hour. As the car was pulling up to us, behind us, I was in the bed. I noticed his dome light turned on. He was reaching in the glove box for something. He pulled out a handgun. So between a cab of a truck and the bed of a truck, there's a window about that big. And somehow I jumped through that window head first and was able to manipulate myself to sit up. And I told my friend, he's got a gun. He said, he's got a gun, shoot him. I was like, no, this is even beyond my hoodlumry. The guy was gaining. The passenger window was down. He had his gun up. He pulled in the next lane, and he was catching up to us. I was scared. I was very scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought either he's going to shoot me, he's going to shoot my friend, something bad is going to happen. We put ourselves in this situation, and now it was rapidly getting bad, bad, bad. So I felt like there was no other option. I took the 22 rifle, I pointed it out that window, and I took a shot at his car. Fortunately, I hit the grill. If that shot would have gone 18 inches to two feet higher, the trajectory of my life would be significantly different, and I don't think I would be here right now. We had escaped. We were full of adrenaline. 
Unbeknownst to my 16-year-old brain, each car is affixed with a metal plate that has a number corresponding to where one could find the owner of said vehicle. It was 1 a.m. My dog started barking. That's odd. When I heard what every parent longs not to hear. You in the house. Come out with your hands up. So we live on a little uh, corner lot. Surrounding my corner lot were 14 to 20 cop cars. There were police officers with shotguns on the side yard. They had dogs. I mean, it was the whole thing. I got some street cred that day. I was taken out, arrested at gunpoint, and taken to juvenile hall. The first day in juvenile hall is just moving from one holding cell to another as they attempt to figure out where to put you. At one point, my parents came in to visit me. And it reminds me of that song, uh, Parents Just Don't Understand, by DJ Jazzy Jeff. I'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me. Yeah. Where they put you depends on the severity of your crime. Since my crime involved a potential fatal act with a gun, I was put in Unit 1000, where the creme de la creme of San Diego's juvenile delinquents reside. These are murderers, attempted murderers, armed robbers, etc. One moment I'll never forget is it was getting late in the day, and I was sitting down eating my dinner sandwich, and I was talking with this kid. He was probably 12 years old. He was in for stealing cars or something. And they took us to our new homes. And they walked us down to this area. And they stopped in front of this door. And they said to me, they said, okay, you're in here. And they opened this door. And I walk in. And it's this large kind of a rec room. And as I walk into this room, this kid who's with me, he says, you're in here? They're going to kill you in here. As that happened, I looked and I saw all about 30 kids. A lot of them looked like grown men. And they were just staring at me. And it was silent. And I was like, oh man. I think the severity of the situation hit me at that moment. During my time in there, I really learned to lean on the Lord for help and strength. I read the Bible multiple times throughout the day. I prayed a lot. I had visitors from different Christian organizations, such as Youth for Christ, that encouraged me and gave me Christian books to read. God gave me favor with those around me, and nothing bad happened to me while I was in there. And I really kept it pulled together. I had a really solid facade. I didn't break down. I was kind of in survival mode, and I was very scared. Once again, for whatever reason, God had his hand in my life. 49 days later, it was time for my final sentencing. This is going to be anything from probation to 18 months at a work camp to time at CYA. I walked into the courtroom with a written statement, and behind the bench was his honorable Napoleon Jones. Never forget that. My mom was there, my dad was there, my grandma, my football coach, and my brother was there. I started with my written statement, and for whatever reason, at that moment, everything just hit me like a ton of bricks. Seeing my brother being in the situation brought on such a wave of emotions, I just broke down and started bawling. Um, uncontrollable sobs overtook me as I attempted to read my statement. I got through it. The judge spoke. I didn't know what he was saying. I just heard 18 months, driver's license, 18th birthday, probation, blah, blah, blah. The gavel struck, and I was let out. Through my tears, I asked the guard what just happened, to which he replied, you're going home. So I had done what anyone would do after not having freedom for seven weeks. I got a bacon, bacon, cheeseburger from Jack in the Box, which they don't hold up anymore. They're not very good. God used this experience to grow within me the desire to work with that age group and to help kids where I could. After that, I had several opportunities to give my testimony in many different venues. I read my Bible. I went to church. I did the youth group. I continued to grow in the Lord. I eventually went to Horizon High School, played football. I was still close to the Lord. Then I graduated and went to college after taking two years off of work. In 1996, I went to Chapman University. I told God, we're going to college. 
pack my bags and I put God in a little box. And I said, we're going to college, but you can be right here in this little cubby hole for later use. And I've told some of you this, but it was by the grace of God that I got through college. Many times I had to go retrieve my God box several times during my years. And I'm sure there are many moments where he would face palm at my actions. I was not a good person during this time. Many times I would run as far away from as I could from God and do my own thing. Then inevitably, when I got in trouble, I turned around to make the long journey back and he was right there. I was truly the prodigal son over and over. But God was very loving and patient with me. I graduated in 2001 and started coaching and teaching at Orange High across the street. Again, this was something that God completely placed in my lap. And I had no idea what I was doing in the teaching part, but I was pretty good at the coaching. In 2004, my buddy I was living with, again, a God thing in and of itself. I could go through and tell you all the ways that God has just moved in my life, but it would take us hours. And Tom would start sweating because I'm taking too long. So I go to a party in 2004, and I was hesitant, but I went. I attended said party and hung out outside. Um, and then I heard the slider open, and I looked, and this bright light shined. And I was like, what is this? And then an angel sent from heaven walked out. The most beautiful creature I've ever seen caught my attention, and I just leached onto her like a tick. After calling her the obligatory three days later, Lindsay and I got married in 2007, and that was the time God said, I'm all done being on your shelf. It's time to grow up. I was a husband to a wonderful woman and a father to a beautiful daughter, and change needed to happen in my life. I will say the first year of marriage was difficult and almost led us to calling it quits. I had a lot of growing up to do, and God went to work on me. Just like the refining process described in 1 Peter 1, I saw the impurities leaving me. At the start, I must have just been a large clump of dirt, not much metal. But we started going to Saddleback. I joined the men's group. I grew very close to the Lord. This was an awesome group, but it dissipated after about a year. In 2008, I moved schools and started at Beckman. That was a rough few years as we struggled financially. 2008 was not a good year to change jobs. I was pink-slipped every year, and we really had to lean on the Beatitudes and the teachings. And we adopted the mantra of birdies eat which later, interestingly enough, evolved into God gives us cheeseburgers. Our life, spiritually, was rapidly getting off the ground. In 2009, we found ourselves in the hospital, waiting to have our first son. We were so excited, but the baby decided to come five weeks early. In the delivery room, there's a team of NICU personnel in case there was an issue. A little dramatic, I thought. However, I was wrong. Once he was born, it was quiet. No one asked me to cut the cord. No one said it's a boy. No one gave him to Lindsay to hold. He bled out through the umbilical cord and was not alive. As they worked on him, time seemed to slow, like in a movie after an explosion. All I heard were chokes and beeps and doctors. I had a, a camera around my, uh, around my neck. That's what we used to do when we wanted to take pictures. And I just remember snapping a picture of him. And then I just thought, are you kidding me? Is this really happening? And I was in this daze, and all of a sudden, it kind of snapped out of it. And Lindsay said, Nathan, you need to pray. Time went back to normal, and I prayed out loud right in the room. After praying, one of the doctors said something to the effect of, we've got him. They rushed him up to the NICU, where he stayed for one week. I will say, Lindsay did not leave that hospital for the week. They couldn't make her leave. In that moment, the trajectory of our spiritual life took off like a rocket. We grew even closer to God. He moved people out of our lives, which is very difficult. Max was born. We moved to Saddleback Rancho Capistrano for a smaller church. It was smaller for about three weeks. Then circumstances made us leave, and we went to Mariner's Mission Viejo. 
I was perfectly happy greeting everyone in the name of Jesus, knowing that I wouldn't see them again. God bless you, brother. God bless you. God bless you. Never going to see you again. God bless you. However, my wife wanted a smaller church where we had more support and community. In 2017, we went to a party from one of our friends whose daughter was going off to the Air Force Academy. At the party, many from our church were there, including the lead pastor who prayed over her and the worship pastor who played a few songs. They were so close to their church. We got in the car and Lindsay was quiet. Many things go over my head as a husband, but I knew why. I said something dumb like, fun party, huh? She quietly responded with, I want that. I was a little skeptical as I didn't think Rick Warren would come to Lauren's going away party, but I wanted to go find that. We upped our effort, visited a few smaller churches that just didn't work. Nothing wrong with them. We just didn't feel God's calling there. We finally decided to go to the church where we dropped the boys off at Awana for date night. First people we met at this church were Mark and Jen Pasquale, and we immediately loved them. So we decided to try out Coast. However, I was skeptical about the big red bear I saw roaming around. First day was overwhelming as I was forced to socialize and learn slash remember names. Since coming to Coast, I've been involved in men's ministry, taught in the barn for two years. I've been serving in Awana for five years. I dabbled in the security team. I'm the proud assistant to the community life director. I'm leading a small group with my wife, small group of amazing people. And most importantly, this is our third year of leading our awesome junior high group. Um, and I feel like we finally found the close-knit church that we were looking for. Today, I have my identity in Christ. I believe in the triune God. I believe the Bible is the final authority. I believe that Jesus, who is fully man and fully God, came to save us from our sins. I believe that salvation is attained through faith in Jesus Christ and not in works or just being good. I'm a husband to an incredible wife and proud father of three plus one awesome kids. I'm a sinner and, my, and I have my struggles. I believe in the daily process of sanctification. I do my best to live in the spirit daily. I've experienced highs and lows in life. I do not judge others. In fact, I believe the words of Paul when he said that of the sinners, I am the worst. When I was asked to be an elder, I was unsure if I was qualified. My church growing up had elders, but they were just these big men with corduroy suits and big leather Bibles and beards. But I really liked what it says in 1 Peter 5, shepherding the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I have a love for this church and all of its people. That's you guys. I want people to have support where they're struggling. I want people to feel connected and loved. And more importantly, I want this church to be fulfilling God's purpose for it through prayer. I want to challenge men to pray for their walk, pray for their wives, pray for their children, pray for this church. I want to see where the Holy Spirit guides this church. But it takes us all with the same mindset. And I will continue to walk with the Spirit and seek Him for decisions. Questions? Are we good? I think we're out of time. <laughs> that's, that's called a filibuster. <laughs> was I filibuster? I wasn't trying to filibuster. <laughs> um, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much. Uh, but yeah, we do have some time, um, and hopefully the Connect team, you know, sent those pages out. And you don't have to, you, if there's just anything on your heart that you just like to know about Nate or what he believes or what his favorite Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from the oh, 80s is. It's too many. <laughs> um, but yeah, all, you'd have to, all you have to do is just raise your hand. 
Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Doug will, Doug will pass the mic around. In the meantime, I'd like to sing a little song dedicated to a little someone special. <laughs> Feeling. This is a filibuster. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, nothing more. All right, who's going to start us off? Who, that, who has a question for Nate? Is there no one else? It's from Gladiator. Look at what you've done. I know. You got one, Orchid? Can be what? Uh, Give me a statement. Be a question. I got the mic. Oh, you got a mic too, but thank you, Rachel. Yeah, no problem. Studied all these uh, so for nothing. I asked this question at the last ordination. One of the things I noticed, not on the sheet, nothing about prayer. But I studied the sheet. So I wanted to ask you about prayer. How do you lead your family in prayer? How do you plan on leading this church in prayer? Because we know that prayer and our knees are the foundation of our faith. So please tell us about that so we know as a church how you're going to lead us in prayer. Uh, That is a fantastic question, and I appreciate that. Um, One of my favorite verses is Galatians 5.16, Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, I feel prayer is very important. I certainly know that in my life, if my prayer life is slacking, that my walk is slacking. And everything kind of follows suit in that area. Um, I strongly believe in praying. I strongly believe in praying for the leadership of this church, um, for praying for everybody in their walk and their families. And, you know, there's such an important part with that connection. You know, one of the things that we're called to do is be like Jesus. And Jesus prayed. And he prayed a lot. And I think the closest that we can get to living in the Holy Spirit and having the Holy Spirit guide us, I think the better off we are as people and as a church. I like to think of the Holy Spirit as just that, as, you know, kind of almost like a mist or a fog that I like to be enveloped in. And I think that should lead all our decision making and that should lead everything that we do at this church, not only as church leaders, but as Christians. Did that answer your question? Yes. All right. Nate, what about number 65? Um, what are some of the ways God sanctifies believers in this life? I think your testimony talked about your sanctification process, but maybe you can just share from God's word. What are some of the ways God sanctifies believers in this life? Mm, sanctification is such an awesome thing. Um, so sanctification is kind of the, uh, I guess it would be like taking a spiritual shower. Um, sanctification is the process of, and, and for me, it's a daily process. It's something that we should do daily. And in many cases, it's something that we should do hourly, you know, depending on the circumstance. I look at it like a shower. You know, you wouldn't take a shower once a month or once a week because you get stinky. Um, but as long as we're living in the Holy Spirit and praying and we're doing what God wants us to do, one of the things I tell the junior hires all the time and my own kids is find God's purpose for your life. Live God's purpose for your life. Because I've fought God so many times in my life, and it never worked out for me. And I just really believe in the power of sanctification, the power of cleansing. And I think that's such an awesome thing when God does it. And it's so cool to hear, kind of like my mom, where she started off in this terrible, awful, evil place. And now she's like, she's very strong in the Lord. And that's through that process of sanctification. What medium do you feel closest to God? I'm sorry? 
What medium do you feel closest to God? Do you feel that connection? What medium? So prayer and scripture, being out in creation and scripture, observing God's handiwork, stuff like that. So when you feel that closeness and connection with God. I feel uh, my closest with God when I'm with other believers. Um, anytime I'm in a small group or anytime I'm with another believer, praying, talking about the spirit, I can really feel God. And, and I, I feel the closest to God when I'm in that kind of group. Right now we have a small group. And it's a really awesome, it's been a blessing. I mean, we've met twice, but I feel really close with the people in the small group. And I feel really close to God. Um, I do like being out in the nature and kind of seeing his creation. But I feel closest to God when I'm with other believers, which is kind of counter to what me personally I want to do. I think if I had like um, my main weakness, I guess you could say, is that I would rather be kind of shut up and in myself and not be around other people. Um, but I find when I'm with other people, I feel very close to God, especially when we're of the same kind of mindset, you know? This is number 19. As an elder, what are some recommendations you might bring to the board to enhance the ministry of Coast Bible Church? And how would you implement those ideas? Um, okay, so one of the things that that I really wanted to implement was um, kind of the idea of shepherding, kind of the idea that, you know, um, we don't want Tom to have to do, you know, to kind of go through everybody and, and know what everybody's going through. And so one of the things that, that's been really important to me is that idea of shepherding, that idea that people shouldn't go through things by themselves. And that's ultimately why we came to this church, because we didn't want to be, we didn't want to go through struggles by ourselves. We wanted to be with the community of believers. So that's one thing. I want us as elders to check in with people, to talk to people, to see how they're doing, to see how their walk is. Um, another thing that, that I would like to implement, um, and I think I'm going to start doing this next month, and I'll commit to this for the year, is I'm going to do like, I'll set up a table somewhere. And I'll have Colleen maybe an awesome sign that just says, ask the elder. And I'll just be visible out there. And if there's anything that you guys have you want to bring to us, but you don't want to come to the meeting, come on out, talk to me. And I'll listen to you, and I'll take your concerns to the, to the people or to the elders. I'll pray with you. But shepherding is really important to me. Um, there's a lot of hurt in this church. You know, we come to church on Sundays, and we all have our happy faces and our God bless you, brother, sister, and hugs and all that. But there's a lot of hurt. And that is important to me. Sometimes I don't know how to deal with it. You know, sometimes I don't know what to say. Um, but that is important to me, is that we address the hurt in this church. Uh, Albert. Last year, when we had this same coronation, I asked this question. In the community where we are, there are a lot of Hispanics in this community. When will Coast Bible Church reach out to set up a Bible study or a ministry that will invite Hispanics that do not speak English? Because I know we have a lot of people in this church that can lead that endeavor. When will that happen as an elder? Will you be willing to contribute to that and encourage Coast Bible Church to do that? Absolutely. 
um, I believe in the Great Commission. You know, it is our job as a church to participate in missions, you know, and it's our job as a church to regardless of the language or the people to reach out to them. Um, I personally, you know, I don't know Spanish. That's one thing my grandma told me to do. I wish I would have done. But, you know, I think that that is important. I think it's important to reach out to as many people as we can and do what we can with the resources that we can to reach as many people for Christ. I, I, I do agree with you. I think that's important. It's really cool we have this space, you know, and I, I don't think that this space should be unused through the week. I mean, we have different things that we do through the week. We have, you know, Wana Wednesday, Thursday, we have youth group, but I think that Monday we have uh, BSF, but I just think that this space, this is God's, you know, space, and we've been blessed with it, so I think it is important. Verse. Oh, glad you asked. My favorite Bible verse is Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Um, I love that because that, for me, for a long time, was something that I needed to really lean on. I would have times where I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I would be stressed out beyond belief, and I would just pray. And I found myself praying that to God and saying, okay, God, not that I need to tell him scripture, but I'm like, this is what it says. I'm completely giving this to you. And I'll tell you what, there's never been a time when I've gone hungry. There's never been a time when I've been homeless. There's never been a time where God has failed me. Even to the point of having, um, I work at a high school and I do IEP meetings. Even to the point of having like something happen at that meeting and I'm like, oh God, I, I need to, you know, this and this. And it, it just always works out. So that's a big one. Um, lately, I've, I've been really liking, uh, for the youth group, we've been going through uh, Ephesians and Galatians. And I, lo- I like uh, Galatians 5.16. And I think I already said this, walk in the Spirit and you won't, uh, uh, walk in the Spirit and you will not s- something fulfill the, fulfill the, yeah, fulfill the, the lust of the flesh. Thank you. Um, I also like Mark 11.35, where it says, make sure that the light within you is not actual darkness. I think sometimes we think we're pretty awesome, and sometimes that we need to just search inside ourselves and ask God to reveal that darkness. I'll go a step further. My favorite chapter is Psalm 91. I feel like when you're reading Psalm 91, you should have Ray Lewis walking out to the Super Bowl doing his dance, because I think it's that awesome. And my favorite book is James. And when I'm feeling cocky and like I'm awesome, I read uh, Job 38 to 40. And then I realize, oh man, I am not very important. So thank you for that. Maybe just a few more. I got one. (laughs) Nate, I don't even know if they know how much time commitment you've put into our church. But I'm going to just share it and then I'm going to ask you this question. Nate comes on Wednesday for Awana. Thursday for uh, youth group. He's here Sunday morning. He's on the elder board that meets once a month as of now, possibly twice coming soon. Um, how do you balance uh, feeling full without feeling empty? Because sometimes being in ministry, we're actually more empty when we're pouring out all the time. Um, so does that make sense? Yeah, that makes really good sense. I would say that... Um if I could say one of my spiritual gifts, I think, is serving. Um, I think that, and Lindsay and I have talked about this, you know, we feel closest in our marriage when we're serving others. 
you know, um, the kids are fantastic. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like you're somebody who I can talk to when I'm feeling empty. I feel like Tom is somebody I could call. I have my small group that I can go to. I have people that I can go to, you know. Bill's another guy I can go to. Some people that I really enjoy. I had, you know, um, I hung out with, with Christian Bonte a few nights ago. And I just, I, I, I feel like God surrounded me with all the people that, you know, I, I just, I, through my life, I've been so blessed. And I don't deserve it. And I just, I want to give back. And I want to, I can't repay God, but I want to be a blessing to him. And I want to live my life as a living sacrifice as much as I can. But I, I do, I feel fulfilled when I do those things. And I would encourage you guys, you know, I, I feel like there's three things that we can give back to the church. You can serve, give your time, your resources. We have a lot of talented people in here. Um, or your money. And, you know, I, I, I tell you what. The most fulfilled I am is when I'm serving. And, you know, as far as the money thing, you know, it's like uh, I used to like a thing Rick Warren used to say. He used to say, you can't outgive God. And I, I thought that's really good. And it's everybody's personal journey. And you do what you do. And nobody's going to judge. But I just think for your own growth, I think those three, one of those three things is very important to give to the church. It's the second time I mentioned Rick Warren. <laughs> He's good, man. You're my only pastor, though. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, also, Doug, why don't you have the worship team start coming up so we can... Uh... Yeah, Kaden, what's up? All right, Nate. I have a partly theological, but partly um, a question that pertains to ministry as well. What is your take on the gifts of the Spirit? Do you feel comfortable lab- labeling yourself as a continuationist or a cessationist? And how does that impact the way that you do ministry? Gifts of the Spirit... You know, honestly, I don't, I don't put a box on what God can do. Um, I, I think there are lots of gifts out there. I think maybe the more charismatic ones we're not as open to. I, I honestly believe, kind of going back to, um, back to my mom, I believe that she has a gift of prophecy. Not like, you know, in, in very small senses. Um, there's a lot of people who have the gift of encouraging um, gift of teaching, gift of giving, serving. There's a lot of gifts. And I, I, I really like what Adam said a couple weeks ago where he, he looked at his hand and he's like, you know, the hand doesn't want to be a foot, right? Unless you're a gymnast. The hand doesn't want to be a foot. It doesn't want to be on the ground getting all that muck. And so I think that the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts so that we can, so that we can live in a body together. And we can all do different things, and we can all contribute. And it could be a big contribution, or it could be a little contribution. It doesn't matter. I just feel like we're all part of the body of Christ, and we all need to remember that. And that's so important for us. 